Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Uh, I want to talk to you guys. Uh, let me know, first of all, right off the bat, who are, my, who are my Game of Thrones people in the room? Who are my Game of Thrones people? Oh, less than half, really. Okay, okay. But we're actually going to be talking about kingdom-minded things. And a kingdom and a king is not something that we, uh, as modern-day Americans, have a reference point for. We don't have context for what it was like. So a lot of times, uh, medieval fantasy or medieval fiction, like Game of Thrones like Lord of the Rings, uh, pick your flavor, a knight's tale, uh, right? Whatever, whatever medieval thing happens to tickle your fancy, we can use these things to kind of give us perspective for what it means to live under a king and as a citizen of a kingdom. And so in our uh, King Jesus series, we're going to continue on. We're going to be talking about what does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What role do we have to play? We're going to focus on King Jesus for this entire series, but I think that we would be remiss if we didn't stop and take some time to focus on the kingdom that King Jesus oversees, right? The kingdom of God. And so I actually gave a message about a year and a half ago uh, similar to this, and I'm not going to rehash a bunch of those things, but there was one thing that I felt like was worth bringing uh, forward and reminding and reemphasizing today, and that's uh, the following idea, is that the culture of a kingdom reflects the nature of the king. Does that make sense? The culture of a kingdom reflects the nature of the king. So everything that makes up a kingdom, right, its customs, its laws, its common welfare, its economy, all of these things make up a kingdom culture. And that kingdom culture is, reflects the nature of the king that rules over that kingdom. Does that make sense? So if you have a king that is uh, tyrannical, that is uh, uh, punitive, that is vindictive, what kind of culture would you expect to be a part of that kingdom, right? People would be fearful. People would be isolated. People would be uh, distrustful, right? Because that is the reflection of the nature of the king. If you have a king who is indecisive, who is passive, who doesn't lead well, then how does that create a culture of that kingdom is probably one that uh, is disconnected, right? That's frustrated, that uh, just kind of detaches because they don't know where they're going. Um, On the other hand, if you have a king that's kind and good and just and benevolent, right? You would expect the culture of that kingdom to be one where people are satisfied, people are fulfilled, people uh, are connected with one another. Uh, There's no paranoia, right? There's trust, um, there's justice. And so these things, the, the, the culture of a kingdom can help tell you a lot about the nature of the king. And so if we are pulling that forward into talking about the kingdom of God, right, then we can kind of uh, swap those words around and say, okay, so the kingdom of God should reflect the nature of King Jesus, right? So if King Jesus is who we're following, if he is the king that oversees our kingdom, and if we, as people who are making up the kingdom of God, should be living into a culture that reflects his nature, what kind of things, this is, this is participation time, what kind of things do you think would characterize the culture of the kingdom of God if we are following King Jesus? 
What are some descriptive words? What are some things that would describe the kingdom of God if it is reflecting the nature of King Jesus? What was that? Loving. Loving. Good. What else? Trust. Generous. Absolutely. What? Forgiving. Faithful or graceful? Both. They're both right. <laughs> Good, yeah. So, I mean, we should be living into a kingdom that reflects the nature of who Jesus is, right? And so all of those things are right. When I talk about the kingdom of God uh, with people, I like to use uh, this uh, Hebrew word shalom, right? And you've probably heard that word before. It's not that uncommon of a word. Uh, but I think there's different levels of understanding what is meant by the word shalom. And we've talked about this before as well. But shalom is kind of a really simple definition. Most people would say that shalom means peace. Uh, and it's used as a greeting uh, in, in Jewish culture. We, when people greet each other, when they leave, they wish each other shalom, right? Uh, but the deeper meaning of shalom is actually, it's much different than just the idea of peace in the sense of being like an absence of conflict or an absence of war. If you uh, study into and if you've read, read people that have spent some time looking into this word shalom, it's a much deeper understanding, right? This idea of shalom is this idea of everything being the way that it should be. Everything being the way that it ought to be. And so we know that we live in a world that's been deeply affected by sin and the fall. And so everything in our world is kind of just off of where it should be, right? We're living in a broken world where people are broken emotionally, relationally, spiritually, right? We have brokenness that's part of our society. This idea of shalom is like the opposite of the fall, right? It's a setting right of everything that has been broken. This idea that everything is the way that it was intended to be. And so I think in a lot of ways, the kingdom of God, in addition to all those other words that we just used, right? Loving, generous, uh, faithful, graceful, all of these things. In addition to that, the kingdom of God can be characterized by this word shalom. It's a place or it's a community, it's a kingdom where everything is being set right to the way that it was intended to be. Uh, I, want, I think it's worth pausing for a minute. Some of you guys, Connie uh, uh, made a beautiful comment about it in, in her call to worship earlier. This idea that we're not just talking about a kingdom of God that is a future entity, right? But we're talking about kingdom of God in the present. And I think for some of us here, that, that is completely natural. But I think for some of us, we maybe grew up learning about a kingdom of God that was not a here and now thing, right? But the kingdom of God was this kind of separate uh, uh, future entity that would be realized one day. And almost like the kingdom of God was uh, equivalent, equal to the kingdom of heaven, right? That those two things are the same things, that we're not in heaven, but it's something that we hope to experience one day. And so uh, I know some of you guys love this, some of you guys don't, but I want to take a minute and, uh, and break it down. We're going to take you to school really quickly. And so we're going to use a couple stained glass words. So again, some of you love them, some of you don't. It's, if you don't, that's okay. It's only going to take a minute, but we're going to use a few stained glass words, and we call them stained glass words because they're really fancy words, and they seem really out of place anywhere other than a church, right? They only seem to fit when you're using them in a church building, and so there's a few stained glass words that we use, a few ologies, and so I want to take you to school just for a minute. They're going to throw them up there. The first one we use relatively frequently is this idea of theology, right? And a very simple definition for theology is what we believe about God. Does that make sense? Another word that we like to use is ecclesiology, ecclesiology. And again, very simple definition. This is how do we view the church? 
How do we view the way that it should be structured? How do we view its function? How do we view its role and its calling and its purpose? What the church should be doing? These all kind of make up this term ecclesiology, how we view this church. The last one is one that we don't use very often at all. It's really kind of dusty even here at Awaken. We only blow it off every once in a while. But it's this eschatology. And eschatology, very literally, if you break down uh, the etymology of the words that make, uh, make it up, it's the study of the last things. And so usually when you're talking about things like the book of Revelation, when you're talking about end times, you're talking about things like that, all that falls under this umbrella of eschatology. Uh, but eschatology is also under that umbrella when we talk about things like the kingdom of God. Um, and so we're going to talk about a, different, a couple different views um, that I'm hoping, again, will be, will be interesting for you guys. So there's one kind of eschatology, right? One kind of view of the kingdom of God that's called consistent eschatology. And this is what a lot of us grew up with. The consistent eschatology says that there is a kingdom of God that is, we have hope for in the future. It is a kingdom that is to come. It's not something that we experience in our present day, right? It's a hope for the future. It is a kingdom where Jesus is in control, where Jesus reigns, and where everything is in this shalom state of being exactly the way that it could be. And so there's a consistent eschatology that says all that is something that's going to happen in the future, not something that we experience today. And some of us grew up with that understanding, with that belief in the churches that we grew up in, right? Then there's, there's this other one uh, that is uh, called realized eschatology. There's no quiz. You don't have to remember these words. But realized eschatology is kind of the opposite. Realized eschatology that says we are living in the kingdom of God right now. That the life, death, resurrection, the ministry of Jesus Christ, all of these things brought about the kingdom of God in our midst. And it's not something that we have a hope for the future. It's something that where we are currently living. Okay, and so there's consistent eschatology says kingdom of God is off in the future. We won't experience it here. Realized eschatology says we are living in the kingdom of God right now. It's not something that we uh, wait to see. It is currently in existence around us, right? Awaken doesn't actually subscribe to either one of these views. Uh, there's a third view I'm going to talk about in a minute uh, that we kind, of, we kind of hold that we feel like is more accurate representation of what God is doing. But you may ask, why is that even important, right? What does it even matter? Uh, I would argue that it is. Uh, a consistent eschatology, right, that says the kingdom of God is only something that we have hope for in the future. On the other side of this world, when all things are made new and Jesus is the king and we don't have things like sickness and, and, and anger and disease and all these things. Um, if that's the view that you hold, right, in that view, what is the primary function and hope and goal for the church in that scenario? It's to, the evangelistic purpose of the church would be to make as many converts as possible so that as many people as possible get to experience this hope for the kingdom of God on the other side without really focusing too much on the things that we need to make right in the world around us right now, right? The most important thing is conversion so that you get to be a part of the kingdom of God because all this is going the way of the buffalo anyways, right? And so this consistent eschatology, I would argue, is, is fairly, uh, is what we would see if we've looked at the evangelical church over the last 300 years. We would say that the way that the church has functioned is with this idea of the kingdom of God is for the future. We need to get as many people's hands stamped as possible so that we can all go the, there together when the time comes. And everything else that's going on around us, it's what was meant to happen, right? On the contrary, if we take the view and says, no, the kingdom of God is at hand, it is here, it is around us, right? I think it's real easy for us to look around and say, well, Jesus isn't really that effective of a king. 
We can look at the world around us and see that it's not the way that it ought to be, right? You don't have to look very hard to find things where if you were to say, well, Jesus is my king, if Jesus is the king of everything around us, if we are living under the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ in the world right now, why does the world look the way that it does? He's either completely powerless completely ineffectual, right, to bring about the kind of things that we would expect to see in a kingdom where he is the sovereign, all-powerful ruler, right? And so I, I think either of these views kind of come up lacking a little bit. And so we have a third view uh, is what's called the inaugurated eschatology. Again, only commit that to memory if it's helpful. If not, I don't care. There's no quiz. Inaugurated eschatology holds a kind of tension that says the kingdom of God is both already right? We are living in the kingdom of God now and also not yet. We are already and not yet is what characterizes this inaugurated eschatology. And so it's the idea that Jesus's life, death, ministry, resurrection, all of these inaugurated, right, which is just a fancy word for began, the kingdom of God here in the world. And so that God is now at work all around us. He is at a, a, under a mission of restoring all things to the way that they should be. And that the church has an important part to play in that role of restoring things to the way that they were intended to be, to that shalom state. However, we will never fully realize the kingdom of God in this world. That is a future hope. So there's this already and not yet. Does that make sense? There's a little bit of tension there, which is a little less, uh, it's a little more complicated, but also we feel like is a little more faithful to what we see in in Scripture. And so uh, we're going to take a look at uh, this is one of the parables. If you go to Matthew 13, uh, Matthew 13 uh, is uh, a chapter where Jesus just gives uh, several parables all about what the kingdom of God is like. And so he's, um, almost all of them start with the kingdom of God is like, right? And so there's a whole chapter, and there are other ones as well. They're not all in Matthew 13, but there's a whole chapter where uh, Jesus just talks about the kingdom of God. And so one of those parables, uh, we're going to go to Matthew 13. Oh, it's already up there. Verse 24. Um, actually, I heard my Bible is slightly different than what's on the screen, so I'm actually just going to read it off the screen so I don't distract you guys with different words. Uh, so this is, comes from Matthew 13. Jesus is teaching parables. If you're not familiar, they were the primary way that Jesus chose to teach. Uh, they were stories uh, similar to fables, right? They were stories that taught a lesson, right? And so they were fictional, they were descriptive, and they taught something that Jesus, there was a central theme that Jesus wanted to get across. And so... Starting Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So we have this idea in this parable of this idea of, again, a both an already and a not yet. That right now, and actually if you skip ahead, we're not going to do it for the sake of time, but if you skipped ahead just a few verses in the same chapter, Jesus stops and and explains this disciples, uh, explains this parable to his disciples. Because not only did the crowds not understand it, the disciples came to him 
privately and said, Jesus, explain this parable to us because we didn't get it either. We just didn't want to say anything around everybody else because we thought we'd look foolish. And so Jesus explains exactly what it is. He, and he even says, the seeds of the wheat that were planted are the, are the children of God, right? They're the kingdom of God that is growing in this world. And then the enemy comes and he plants seeds of evil that grow among the kingdom of God. And so that both must grow together until a future judgment when they will all be taken together and the wheat will be burned and the, and the good, I'm sorry, the weeds will be burned and the wheat will be stored in the barn, right? And so we have this idea of Jesus describing this already. There's already a kingdom of God that is growing, that is thriving, but is also being competed with by, by the evil that's in this world. And so he says that it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to thrive. And yet at one point in the future, there will also be a judgment where everything is restored to the way that it should be. And so we're living in this already not yet tension of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Some of you guys, that's super exciting, and some of you guys have fallen asleep on me, but that's okay. I love you all. So uh, if, if this is the way that the kingdom of God uh, exists, I think the, the question that we deserves to be answered that follows from that is what role does the church have to play, right? If God has, uh, has said that the kingdom is here, it is at hand, it's growing— it is both already and not yet, but there is a mission that has been inaugurated, right, that has been begun of restoring all things. God has called the church to play a part in that. So what does that look like for the church to play a part in that? There's a, uh, a theologian uh, and a missiologist named Leslie Newbigin. Uh, he's a favorite of several of the people, some of you guys in this room I know. And uh, he, there's a really great quote that was too long I didn't put on the screen because it just would... I, I, I didn't have time. I wanted to. I honestly did. But there's a small section of this longer quote, and this is what Leslie Newbigin says. I think we do have this on the screen, that the church is called to be a sign, an instrument, and foretaste of the kingdom of God. The church is called to be a sign, instrument, and foretaste of the kingdom of God. And that's something that we use at Awaken to frame how we believe that our missional communities and our church should be operating. And so we're going to break that down. We're going to go, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this evening, is we're going to spend right here talking about what does it mean for the church to be a sign, a instrument, and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. So first, let's, let's take them one at a time, right? What does it look like? What is a sign? A sign has a purpose. A sign has a function. What is the point of a sign? Again, participation. What is the point of a sign? To show you something. To relay information. It is to get your attention and communicate something important, right? If you have a sign that no one ever looks at, your sign has failed. <laughs> the sign, the purpose of a sign is first and foremost to get your attention and then to communicate some important information, right? If you've got a sign that's just really pretty but doesn't communicate anything, you don't have a sign, you have a, you have a picture, you have a painting, you have a portrait, you have something else, right? The purpose of a sign is to both get your attention and then communicate something important. So what does it mean for the church to be a sign. It means that our missional communities, each of us as we go out into the world, should be a sign of the kingdom of God. We should be uh, communicating something about King Jesus and the importance of his reign and what the kingdom of God looks like. That is one of the functions of the church is to be a sign that points people to King Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so that's kind of the first function. And then we have a sign and then an instrument, right? And I love this because instrument has multiple, uh, multiple uh, 
definitions that you could use, right? An instrument can be a tool. An instrument can also be something with which you create music, right? But whichever, whichever way you go, uh, the church is called to be an instrument of the kingdom of God. And so an instrument, in the, in the view of a tool, is something that builds and something that creates, right? If you were going to build a house, if you were going to build a kingdom, if you were going to create something, the instruments are the tools that you would use, if you prefer to look at it in a musical sense, I know we have a lot of musicians in the room. The, the instruments are what create the, the sonic piece that you're working on, the song, the arrangement, the whatever it is. The instruments are what bring it to life, right? They're what actually give life and function and form to what's on the page. And so for the church to be an instrument means that we shouldn't just be talking about the kingdom of God, right? The church for a long time uh, has been a sign right? Sometimes literally, sometimes they're standing on the street with sandwich boards. Sometimes they've got really cringy church marquees, right? You guys have seen those. If you Google them, they're so bad. But so the church has long sought to be a sign of the kingdom of God relatively successfully, right? But to just be a sign, we also need to be an instrument. We can't be all talk. We can't be simply a group that points people to the king of God, that communicates what the kingdom of, uh, of Jesus, King Jesus, is like, but we need also to be instruments. We need to be uh, vitally important to the building, the construction, and the forming of the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods, in our networks, in our families, in our workplaces, right? That we are used by God to help build the kingdom of God where we are. This is one of the major functions of our missional communities, is how do you create the kingdom of God? God in your neighborhood, or how can you help bring the kingdom of God into your network, right? The last one, and I'm going to bring this all together with a beautiful metaphor in a minute, so don't worry. Uh, we have a sign, we have an instrument. The last thing is a foretaste, right? A foretaste. What does a foretaste mean? It is literally getting a taste of something before, <laughs> right? It's really, I know, language people in here, it's super, super interesting. A foretaste is to be able to taste something that is to come ahead of time. And so what does it mean for the church to be a foretaste? It means that, yes, we've got this coming kingdom of God where King Jesus will reign over all things and this shalom will rule in the land where everything is the way that it was intended to be. Everything will be whole, right? But we're not there yet. And so one of the functions of the church, one of the functions of our missional communities is to give people a taste of what that's going to be like by being a part of your community to both be a sign that points people and an instrument to help create, but also that when others get to experience our community, they get a, just a little taste of what the kingdom of God is going to be like one day, right? In Psalms, I forget which Psalm it is. I looked it up earlier and I already forgot. It's like 31 or something. But in the book of Psalms, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And so by being a foretaste of the kingdom of God in our missional communities, we are inviting people to come and experience what the kingdom of God should look like and see that it's good, right? We've talked about this a lot as well. And so I was actually talking about this uh, a little bit uh, with our spiritual leadership team last month, and I used a metaphor that I thought just hit the ball out of the park, and it landed pretty flat. They didn't really appreciate it whatsoever. But instead of uh, respecting that, I'm, I'm going to double down, and I'm going to hit it even harder with you guys, and I'm going to make sure that my metaphor hits home, okay? So, uh, this, is, this is a metaphor that can only be brought to you by a pastor who is also a true fat kid at heart, okay? So, sign, instrument, and foretaste, right? I, uh, I've described it by thinking about this idea of brownies, right? Stay with me. So, when my wife comes home, right, 
from the grocery store, and she pulls, uh, when she's going through, we're putting all this stuff away, and then she pulls out this box, and there's a box of brownies, right? That box of brownies, the box, the picture, everything that's on there is a sign of what I'm going to get. I see that sign, and I know someday, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday soon, there is going to be brownies, <laughs> because I've seen the box, and I have seen what's been communicated. I could even see a little bit about those brownies, right? I know, are they white chocolate? Are they dark chocolate, right? I can see all that on the box. So when she pulls that box out of the bag, it has immediately caught my attention. And it has communicated to me that sometime in the future, hopefully the near future, there will be brownies. Okay, so this functions as a sign. An instrument. So when my wife decides, okay, uh, I'm going to make brownies tonight, right? There are certain tools, there are certain things that she's going to use that are going to bring these brownies into existence, right? And so we've got, you know, everything from uh, a whisk to the different ingredients to the pan to all these things that come together to actually create the brownies, right? And so we have instruments that go into building and creating and bringing what, like, one minute there was no brownies and now there are brownies because of these instruments, right? And so the church needs to function in that way as well, that we are helping create this idea. Uh, and finally, my favorite part of the entire process is usually after all this sign and foretaste things have happened, my wife comes out with this big bowl and the little spatula thing, and then she gives it, and I get to have the batter that's left in the, in the bowl, right, that's left over. And this is uh, no clearer picture than I could think of to tell you what a foretaste is, right? And so this batter is not the brownies, right? But yet I can try it, and I can know what those brownies are going to be like, right? It's not the brownies, but I can be like, oh man, they're, they're fudge, or oh, there's peanut butter in this, or oh, there's salted caramel in these ones, right? And so I get a taste that lets me know what those brownies are going to be like, even though they're not quite here yet, right? And so I know it does for me. I don't know if it does for you, but to help put these things into perspective, the kingdom, if I, if this is heretical, if I were Jesus giving you a parable, I would have just said, the kingdom of God is like brownies, and then gone and explained all, all these ways in which the kingdom of God is like brownies. And so it's important for us, whatever metaphor works for you, take it and run with it. But the important question is that we need to, as missional communities, as people that are uh, participating in the mission of God, right, as followers of King Jesus, we have a responsibility to answer the questions of how are we being those three things in the world? How are we being a sign? How are we being an instrument? And how are we being a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And so that's the question that, that, I, that I want us to leave, leave you with. What does it look like for our missional communities to be each of those things? Are our missional communities places where the shalom of God is present, right? Are our missional communities places where they are seeking to right the broken things that are in the world? Are they places that point people to God, to King Jesus, and communicate that there is a kingdom to come? Are they instruments of building the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods? Are they instruments of creating the kingdom of God in our, in our workplaces, in our networks, right? And are they foretastes? Are they, as your missional community, as you are thinking about it right now, is it a place where somebody who does not know King Jesus could come into it and taste what the kingdom of God is like by the way that your missional community loves each other, right? 
And I don't mean this in an abstract sense, right? Our missional communities should not be places where the kingdom of God is, is, is present in, a, in, a, in an abstract sense or in a vague sense. Our missional communities should be places where we see things that aren't right and we look to work with God to fix those things. If we see somebody in our missional community that doesn't have enough money to pay their bills, we say that's not the way that it should be in the kingdom of God. And we work to fix that. If we come across somebody in missional communities that has no place to go, we say, not in the kingdom of God, absolutely not. We're going to find a way to help that person. If we find people that are struggling with addiction, struggling with loneliness, struggling with depression, we say, absolutely not. That is not the way that it ought to be in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to walk with those people. We're going to support those people. We're going to encourage those people and help them find the help that they need, right? And so our missional communities need to not just be places where we talk about things, but where we functionally practice and live out these things. So my question for you, and this, I'll turn it over to, uh, to the band to close us out in worship. Going back to that first thought, right? The culture of a kingdom reflects the nature of the king. So how, in our missional communities, how are we reflecting the nature of King Jesus in the culture of our missional communities? Hopefully there are places where people come and they find those things we talked about. They find grace. They find community. They find forgiveness. They find generosity. They find that shalom, that wholeness, that this is the way that things ought to be, right? And so that's the challenge that we leave as we walk out of here. Let me pray. King Jesus, we thank you for being with us as we worship, being with us as we learn from your word together, being with us as we discuss what it means to be a citizen of your kingdom. God, we know that your kingdom is one that is characterized by your nature. And so we pray that you would work in us to be those three things, God. We want to be a sign of your kingdom to the world around us, a sign of your kingdom in our neighborhoods and in our networks. We want to point people to you in a way that communicates the truth of who you are, the nature of our king. God, I pray that you would work with us in our missional communities to make us instruments that you would use us to be a part of your mission, the mission of God, the Missio Dei, right, that we teach here at Awaken, that we would partner with you in helping create the kingdom of God in, in, our, in our midst, create the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods and networks, so that we're not just talking about the things that we want to see the kingdom of God be, but we are actively building those things as we care for one another, as we look into our neighborhoods and say, what is broken and how can we make it beautiful? as we seek to partner with you in your ministry of restoring all things to the way that they should be. And God, I pray that you would make our missional communities a foretaste of your beautiful kingdom, God. That when people come and interact with our missional communities, when they come to a brunch or a dinner or a Taco Tuesday or a movie night or a fish fry or whatever the case may be, God, but that when people come into our missional communities, that they leave experiencing, man, that is a little piece of what the world should look like. Not a world where people are actively competing with one another, where people are actively uh, holding people at arm's length, but where people are open, they're vulnerable, they love one another, they embrace people, even those that they feel differently than them, people that maybe have different ideologies, people that have different political beliefs, people that have different religious beliefs, God, that we just, they are embraced and, and, and glor uh, celebrated for being made in your image and being a part of the kingdom of God. We pray that you would make our missional communities a foretaste where everyone who interacts with them gets to experience what it is to be a citizen of your kingdom and to be a child of the king. 
And that in doing so, that they would come to know you more, that they would be drawn to you, and that they would see you as King Jesus in their own lives. God, this is our prayer. We pray that you would ignite a fire in us, that you would challenge us, that you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart, God, and that we would go from this place to live out your Missio Dei in our neighborhoods and networks. In Jesus' name, amen.